and I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time that. Alright? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it, Glenn Cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. What's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. We got David Lesky joining us in about 35 minutes from right now of Inside the Crown to talk Royals. We're also going to start up our KU football positional previews today. We did all our opponent previews, finished that up. You can check it out on the Best of RCST podcast. But now going through position by position today, starting with the position people care the least about, quarterbacks. Oh, wait, I'm sorry, care the most about, quarterbacks. That will be done over the course of today's show. But first, the Kansas City Chiefs. Played another preseason game last Friday night. Ended up winning 17-10, to 10, so that's back-to-back victories for the Chiefs in the preseason. 2-0 and since the Super Bowl loss. Who said they couldn't bounce back? They looked pretty good with the first-team unit all around, and they would have ended up with more points if not for the Patrick Mahomes interception. Kind of on a pass that I'm sure he immediately regretted in the end zone. But it's funny because all the starters on offense, at least, looked really good. The most shaky guy might have been Patrick Mahomes, just when you consider the interception in the end zone. And there were a couple times where maybe he just missed a receiver like McCole Hardman, who had a step on the corner, which obviously you have zero reason to worry about Patrick Mahomes in the regular season. So if that was, you know, if you got a... uh, Patrick Mahomes not as great as usual game and everybody else was great you feel confident Patrick Mahomes is going to be great it's a very good recipe for success for the offense we also saw that kind of last year too where I I remember the Chargers game in LA being the big one I think Patrick Mahomes had like seven passing yards or something he was like two of I don't know, two of eight, or it was something really bad in the first half of that game, and then he came on. So we've seen that before, too, where the first half wasn't the best, and then you kind of flip a switch in the second half. That very well could have been the case in that Cardinals game. You know, the next three drives, if he stays in, who knows, he might have three touchdowns, and then all of a sudden, it's a different story. But it is kind of funny that, yeah, all the starters on offense really impressed, and you had a more of a shaky game from Patrick Mahomes, which, again, worry level, zero. Uh, But the offensive line looked really good again. Maybe most importantly was the right side continuing to look good because that is the side that you just not necessarily have more questions about, but you just don't know as much about how they're going to fare in the NFL because they're first-year NFL players. You have Trey Smith in at right guard, the rookie, and you have Lucas Niang, who is a first-year NFL player. I, I would assume he still counts as a rookie. Like, if if they were voting offensive rookie of the year, if not that this would happen because offensive line never win this, but like, what if Luke Niang 
was the greatest right tackle ever this season. Could he win Offensive Rookie of the Year? I don't, I don't know how that works. But either way, they're first-year players. And both those guys on the right side of the offensive line were impressive. The left side is like the expensive side. You know, it's, it's like you uh, go to somebody's house and you walk in and they got the newest TV and they got awesome-looking coffee table and brand-new sectional couch and everything they have upstairs is like state-of-the-art and new. And then you go downstairs and it's like there's a lot of potential here, but it's an unfinished basement. That's the Chiefs' offensive line. You have all that stuff that sparkles and shines out on the left side and then the unfinished basement on the right side. But the unfinished basement part might have actually ended up being better on Friday night than the left side, which, again, that's a good sign because you expect the guys that you're paying a lot of money to perform well. And, you know, if that's the case where we're coming away from this game saying, yeah, offensive line was good, but the best part of it was that right side of the offensive line where you have Trey Smith and Lucas Nyang, who are these first-year players, you're going to have a darn good unit because, I mean, again, you have a second-team all-pro guy, Joe Tooney, at left guard. You have Orlando Brown at left tackle, who he's still working through, I'm sure, making the transition from right tackle to left tackle, from being in a run-first offense to a pass-first offense. That's all different, but there's obviously a lot invested there. And I think this unit might be one that's going to be better than I initially thought at the start of the year. I kept having questions about, you know, offensive line is maybe the biggest position that you have to develop that chemistry. And that that still is true. I don't think I gave enough credence to where the starting point would be, though. The more they play together, the better it's going to get, I would just think, for that same chemistry reason. I just think it is higher up of a starting point than you were initially thinking, and knowing how good it's already looked has got to be rather scary for NFL defenses that, yeah, it's already looked really good, and it's probably only going to get better from here. McCole Hardman was a feature of the offense, which was nice to see whether that carries any water into the regular season or not. I don't think it really matters. I don't think that's really the point of the game. Tyreek Hill didn't play in the game, just sat out. I don't know if it was because of the knee tendonitis, um, a combination of precaution and the knee tendonitis. But in that situation, you figure, okay, we, we might as well see what this guy has. We might as well get this guy as many reps as possible because whether it is being the guy who would have to fill in for Tyreek Hill in case of injury or if it's the guy that we just need to step up now, let's see as much as we can from him. Because the first week wasn't, the best week for McCole Hardman in the preseason. He has the one drop. He's not in the game very much. He didn't play in any two wide receiver sets. All of his snaps came in three wide receiver sets, which would basically tell you that, oh, are you the number two receiver? No, it doesn't sound like it. And it wasn't an ultra productive day in week two for McCole Hardman. He did have that off-kiltered touchdown grab from Chad Henney, which was a nice grab. And for a guy who is more known for his speed and making plays in the open field, for him to make a contorted body catch in the end zone in one-on-one coverage that's something you haven't seen in the past so that was a positive but eight catches or four catches on eight targets for 39 yards I think it could have been even better than that you know just watching the game there were at least one or two times that stick out in my head where Mahomes just kind of missed him 
but more important thing to the to watch here is the snap count. I mean, like I said, never played in two wide receiver sets in game one. He played in them in game two. You do have to figure out the issue of did you only play in them because Hill is out or if there's more there. But overall, can't get a breakout performance in a preseason game most likely, and it wasn't. But I think it was solid enough for McCole Hardman that you come away feeling positively where you still want to see more in week three, but it's definitely trending up as opposed to what it was after the first week. Defensively, Chris Jones had another sack. This time it came from the edge. Week one, he had the sack from his original spot on the D-line on a third and long. Again, just shows his versatility, shows what I think how the team is going to use him. Third down and long, you move him to the interior, get all your pass rushers, your best pass rushers on the field, which more often are DNs, so you can move Jones back to the interior. But on first and second down, you need to see it from Jones on the outside, and it seems like he's gearing up to have a pretty special season, and they need him to. They need to get that pass rush, and who knows what to expect from Frank Clark. I think the interior of the defensive line, you you like the way that looks with Derek Naughty, Tershawn Wharton, Kalen Saunders, Jaron Reed. Somebody has to step up on the outside. You expect Chris Jones to. That's kind of the difference for me in this defense being one that could they border around being a top 10, top 12 defense or just being below average. And if you're going to have a high-scoring offense, what's the most important thing defensively? You need guys who can rush the passer when you're up 31-24 late in the game to go get that big sack, get the ball back for your offense. The other thing on defense, I'm just kind of waiting for Juan Thornhill to kind of rise back up on the depth chart. We've seen him mostly with the twos and threes, but I think he's continued to play pretty well. He had that nice diving interception in the end zone, and that's a guy that could really change where this defense is at. Last year, we didn't see whether it was just not fully back from the injury, Juan Thornhill, or just not fully comfortable Juan Thornhill. The year before, he was really good as a rookie, and then he had the ACL injury. If they can get back to the guy who was playing really well at the end of his rookie season before having the ACL injury, that's a huge boon for this team, and they could use some extra punch back at the back end of that secondary. The only other note from the game is over injury at the running back position. You had Clyde Edwards-Hilaire sprain his ankle. Daryl Williams had a concussion. Sounds like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was back at certain regards of practice today, so that's a good sign. I think Andy Reid after the game said doesn't look like a high ankle sprain, but that was before they had done more testing and whatnot. If both those guys are out, I guess it's either Jet McKinnon time or Darwin Thompson time who looked pretty good in that game against Arizona. Clyde, I think, is probably going to be your best threat as a pass catcher of all the running backs, so that changes the dynamic if he's out for a week or if he's missing a little bit of time, which doesn't really sound like it's trending that way. But as far as just who's running the ball on specific running plays, the fact that you have that improved offensive line all just kind of ties back to that, makes you feel comfortable with pretty much whoever is going to be behind there, especially after you saw Damian Williams, I mean, almost win Super Bowl MVP a couple years ago. FM 1017, 1320 KLWN's Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We'll get into some more KU football less than two weeks to the first game of the season for the Jayhawks. That on the other side, David Lesky joins us in about 25 minutes. I'm Derek Johnson. This is RCST.
there's a lot of things you might be not really living up to snuff about right now. Are you getting enough haircuts? Are you shaving enough? Are you keeping up with your personal hygiene? Well, one thing that you don't want to be a loser about is having that dirty car. You know, whether it's just driving around town, whether it's you picking up a friend, you want the clean car. And don't you want the sparkly clean car that you're proud of? Well, guess what? Tommy's Express Car Wash. They are going to hook you up with a great car wash that's going to get that car sparkly nice so that when you go to the store, everybody's looking at your car and says, oh, man, where did that guy get his car washed? It's wash, rinse, repeat at Tommy's Express Car Wash. You can download the Tommy Club app today and enjoy endless washing for one low price. That's right, endless washing for one low price with the Tommy Club app. It's unlimited car washes, unlimited clean, shiny, and dry, unlimited use of exclusive app lane, unlimited access to all Tommy's Express locations, because there's a lot of them, unlimited guest service and most importantly, unlimited happiness. They've got the tools and expertise to keep your car clean inside and out. Their wash packages let you pay for the services you want, including Tommy Guard and body wax, wheel cleaning and tire gloss, underbody flush and spot free rinse, and vacuuming. So download the Tommy Club app today and enjoy that endless washing. Go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. David Lesky joins us in about 15, 20 minutes from right now inside the crown to talk little Royals baseball. Six and one week last week for the Kansas City Royals. We'll have that game for you tonight. Taking on the Astros. Coming up at 7-10 pregame at 6-30 right here on KLWN. We're less than two weeks away from another thing that'll be on KLWN. That would be the KU football game. Not this Friday, the Friday after that. And we're going to be doing a live show that day, so from 3 to 5.30, out at Mama's Tamale Shop, which they have amazing, authentic Mexican food. I I mean, the tamales are awesome. I love the empanadas as well. I mean, everything they have there is great. So we're going to be at Mama's Tamale Shop, again, 3 to 5.30. Game starts at 7 for KU South Dakota, and it's a perfect location. It's on 9th and... I don't know, around 9th in Mississippi, 9th in Indiana, maybe, somewhere in that range, um, that's walking distance over to KU football. So we're going to have some stuff we'll be giving away. You can stop by. They're going to have, like, a bunch of awesome food out and about. You can come say hi, get your tailgate started early for the Friday night game again, live show next Friday at Mama's Tamale Shop. The Lance Leipold era is obviously way more what happens about down the road than what happens this specific season and right off the bat in week one. I think as far as I'm concerned, and I'm sure a lot of people are in this camp as well, you basically get a free pass this season. The clock doesn't start to get things turned around. But it can't have a clean like amnesty either, right? There, We know that we've said that before, and then certain things happen that you're almost looking for, you know, oh, well, can you at least, even if the wins and losses don't come, just be more competitive? Or can you clean up some of the mistakes, like getting a delay of game on the first play of a drive or calling a timeout on fourth and two when you're about to go for it to discuss the decision and then coming out to punt or schedule or going out there to punt on fourth down, call a timeout to think about going for it, then punt again. Just things like that. You can't have the game management issues find a quarterback, 
start to develop the offensive line, start to develop other players. You know, those are all things that if you check any of them, it'd be nice. So it's it's not a free-free reign, right? If you go 0-12 and you lose every game by 50 points, is it a job-losing offense? No, obviously not. But it would be frustrating from a fan perspective, from analyzing the team perspective, and I think there's a big difference between those two. But for the most part, barring that happening where, you know, you're losing every game by 50, 60 point, right? Like the very worst doomsday scenario. Outside of that, it's it's probably a free pass this season. Yeah, you're talking about a coaching staff taking over so late in the game, trying to change the culture, trying to institute new plays, trying to institute new ways of development. That stuff takes so much time. Even the good recruiting classes that Les Miles brought in, that's classes that are now freshmen or sophomores. These aren't older, experienced players who Lance Leipold comes in, and while there is talent on the roster, he doesn't come in to experience talent at a bunch of these positions to where you just plug him in and there you go. So from that standpoint, there is kind of a free pass this season that you just hope that the biggest thing, the culture continues to change. The culture continues to get better. And how can we measure that? We probably can't. It's probably not something that you can measure till, you know, five, ten years down the road. You look back and say, yep, that was the foundation of the start of the culture. So it's kind of hard from that perspective. But like I said, if you find a quarterback, if you find a way to mask that play, if you find a way to develop the offensive line, you find a way to be competitive in some extra games, then instead of it just being a free pass year, it goes to, that was really cool. I'm looking forward to seeing where that's going to go from here. But at the very least, regardless of the, the free pass, so to speak, think about how important game one is against South Dakota. It is obviously your best chance at getting a win. Right? It's an FCS team. That would be the same for if anybody was playing an FCS team. It's just your best chance at a win. But specifically for KU football, you had a winless season last year. You want to get these guys, as you continue to try to get them to buy into culture, you don't want them to view this as, oh, here we go again. We've lost three FCS games. Not that all the players were there for all of them. Three FCS games over the last decade. Here we go again. Or everything they're preaching, how do we know it's working if we just lost to an FCS team? And that's challenges that you can overcome as a coaching staff, but it makes it a lot harder. Andy Kotelnicki on Tuesday at the KU Football Media Days kind of talked about this, how culture is a lot easier to put together and develop when there's not games being played because you don't have to worry about what the morale is going to be if a team loses a game or if things aren't going your way that season to what you thought. Simply put, sometimes culture is easy to do when you don't play games because you really don't feel any true adversity, right? It's easy to talk about. It's hard to do, you know, responding to adversity, responding to making a mistake on the field, okay, responding to a drop pass or, a, or an interception, however it is. Now all those things we preached all summer long and through fall camp, it's here it is, 
let's respond appropriately to what just happened. And that's been a big message for us in the last seven days, especially offensively. He said, hey, if we face some adversity, if we face a second and 15, if we, whatever, maybe we go three and out the first drive, how are we gonna respond as a unit to go back out there and do our jobs and, and, and move forward and continue to succeed? So it's a big deal. We're talking about it all the time still with our players. And if you can win that first game, it gets a lot easier to preach to say, hey, see the results, even though it is just against South Dakota. For a lot of other teams, they'd be just kind of brushing over the FCS opponent to say, okay, well, you're going to win that one. That's not the case right now. It is going to get a lot harder to continue to sell the culture to recruits and current players when the record doesn't look good. Even a KU hasn't won four games since 2009. If you won four games, that would be a va- – I, I joked with Scott, but I, I, I don't even think it's a joke. I, I think I am, like, semi-serious. If KU wins four games, I will get on the bandwagon of Lance Leipold, Big 12 Coach of the Year. KU hasn't done that since 2009. But even then, you're looking at a record of, oh, that's 4-8 and eight or 3-9, and nine, or even if you go 2-10 – and ten, it is going to get harder to sell that culture to recruits, to current players, when that record doesn't look good. This staff has done it before. They've done it with Buffalo. I don't think they had to do it prior to that because they kept winning. But every school is a new challenge, and that includes Kansas. So if you lose right off the bat to an inferior team, as opposed to any of the other 11, where you'll be the underdogs anyway, Now you've really got your work cut out for you in trying to pound that culture into their minds. Not insurmountable, but if that is the number one goal of this season, again, in a season where it is a free pass to instill the culture and continue to see that grow, it becomes a lot harder if you lose to South Dakota. You're favored in this game. You're not favored in the others. This is the one. Go win it. And it's a fine line. From my perspective, You know, it wouldn't be great, but like I said, this is a honeymoon year. Just from establishing that culture, which is the most important factor in year one, it's a tough sell job. If after all this hard work in the offseason and change of the coaching staff and regimes, you go out and lose to, this isn't North Dakota State. This is a middling FCS team. It's not a top 25. It's not a top 40 FCS team, which is why this, in my opinion, is going to be the very first game against South Dakota, the most important game in year one under Lance Leipold. We're going to do our quarterback preview today, see who ends up starting that first game against South Dakota. I think as you're looking at the candidates for the position, you can throw out one of the youngsters if you want to say, oh, well, Ben Easters or Conrad Hawley, they were you know, young freshmen who were intriguing. I've kind of joked around about Miles Fallon. But the real candidates for this job, as we mentioned, Miles Kendrick, Jason Bean, Jalen Daniels. It is a three-quarterback race. You get different things from all three of the different quarterbacks. Jalen Daniels has probably all the skills that you're looking for from a throwing perspective. even has some wheels to go with it. Jason Bean gives you explosiveness in the running game. Good athleticism. Strong arm, not as strong as Jalen Daniels, I don't think, but stronger than Miles Kendrick. Miles Kendrick, from a physical tool perspective, 
He's probably third among both those quarterbacks. But from a game management perspective, from knowing the playbook, from a leadership perspective, from being more experienced, just from being older, although Bean is the most experienced in terms of college game, Kendrick might take the cake there. So you get kind of different things from all the different quarterbacks. This was Lance Leipold talking about quarterback reps and getting them all involved in practice. You know, Jim Zabrowski handles that. We do rep counts. We're, we're working, in, and that's one thing as we continue. We've, things will slowly start coming together of who they're working with at time to get our timing, and those are always a balancing act of issues when, when you're trying to, uh, especially when you have three. You know, a lot of times, you, have, you, you know, three guys are, are battling a little bit right now, and, and a lot of times it's a two-man battle. you, you got to find those reps, and that's a juggling act. But, again, our our huddle system and rep system, we're getting the same amount of reps, okay? And you know we're not on the field quite as long. Um, you know, we've had, you know, off-field personnel that chart reps after practice and said that we, we get the same amount of team reps that was done here before, just in a lot shorter time. So the evaluation of getting those reps and get them counted, whether it be one-on-one, seven-on-seven, or team reps are all charted and, and, and calculated and graded by, by Jim Zabrowski. And that's what makes it really tough, the rep thing, the fact that, you know, this isn't just two guys. This is three guys competing for the job to where you have to split the reps even more. And it sounds like they have a good situation to, to figure out all those reps, but that just makes it probably even a little tougher as far as that goes. This will be important as we get to our quarterback preview in a little bit here. What they're specifically looking for from the quarterback position. Jim Zabrowski talked about this at the beginning of camp. I'll say a couple things and let it roll and see what happens. Like, as a quarterback coach, for as long as I've coached and different, I've been through this before in terms of um, quarterback situations, bad, whatever you want to call it, Minnesota, same thing, all different places, different city, Northern Illinois, same thing. I mean, Jordan Lynch almost wins the Heisman. He's our third quarterback <laughs> like, at first, then became number two in Chandler Harness for the stroke. Jordan Lynch didn't start till his fourth year. No one understands that he was a fourth year kid. That that's when he truly started. We were gone, and that's when he rolled. Everybody else wants to get up and go all the time and leave, and so on and so forth. Um, but really, what it is is practice-wise, repetition. We count reps. Obviously, we keep accuracy, inaccuracy, throws, completion, all that. So there's a stat, a component to it, which is going to be a part of it, obviously. But also just to see who can, who's got the the, the leadership skill. Who can? Who's getting us? Who's puts us in the best situation to be successful in terms of scrimmage situations. You see our practice-wise, instead of doing all, we'll do a lot more team stuff so you get pressures down quarterbacks because obviously they took a lot of hits last year. It's just the way life is. You know the number, I forgot the numbers, what the number of pressures they took. So you got to kind of repro, I got to kind of help them realize we're going to be, it ain't going to happen again. You hope, you know what I'm saying? But you like, in terms of how we're going to hopefully run the ball, play action, we're going to do our best. Kind of say, trust them. Trust those dudes up front. Trust that we'll get guys open and so on. So kind of reprogram that. But see who can handle that stuff the fastest. So you can get the ball out of their hands the quickest. Because the thing that's struggling with the guys who have trouble playing for us is the guy who holds on to it for no apparent reason. Or is trying to make them miraculous instead of take the three. You know, it's a plus. I mean, the other rival, a lot of these crazy fun rules, it's a plus four rule. Like, every, you don't throw the ball to get 60 yards. Like every play can get 60 yards. I, we call it pass. If we get plus four, heck yeah, let's go. Like you're going, you know what I'm saying? And that's the deal of trying to teach you. Take the check. Yeah, let's take the check down instead of force it. Well, yeah, I've always said this. Great quarterback. What I'd like to find is about these guys. There's this line, I call it. And the great quarterbacks push this line of, of how far, what can I get away with? 
what kind of throws can I make? The, the guys who struggle are the ones who go over that line and keep doing it. The guys like the Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre, Mahomes, they've kind of figured that out. You know, A-Rod probably, Mahomes the best is what I can and can't get away with and got to know what the throws I can make. The guys who struggle the ones who, then that's what we're trying to get to. That's why I kind of find out who makes the least, I hate to say, like Coach, play, who plays the best ball? Does that make sense? I hate saying bad ball, because like, Coach K will always tell you bad ball gets you beat way before a good ball wins you games. That's just what I always say. Bad ball gets Bad ball gets you beat. So who's playing good ball? Is that, that makes sense on that stuff? All right, so that was Jim Zabrowski talking about what they need from the quarterbacks. And yeah, those are all things that, you know, to me makes you think, okay, maybe it could be Miles Kendrick has the advantage right now, but maybe that gap is closing a little bit between some of the other guys to be closer to the first week of the season. But whoever the quarterback is, whoever the quarterbacks are, if they play multiple, for KU to be successful or to be more competitive or whatever the bar you want to place is there, you have to at least be up to a Big 12 level. That doesn't mean top five in the Big 12. doesn't mean even top, you know, better than somebody in the Big 12. It just means get up to where the next worst program is at that specific position. And this will go for every position, but if you can go from being 10th with a bullet to being tied 9th, that's a huge improvement, and that's all of a sudden how you start to make inroads on being more competitive with some of these other teams in the conference. This is Rock Jock Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson. David Lesky of Inside the Crown joins us next. About 20 till the top of the hour here. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. David Lesky of Inside the Crown joins us now on RCST. So Carlos Hernandez, another strong start for him as the Royals have gone 6-1 and one since the last time we talked. Uh, we talking single digits? We talking double digits for Carlos Hernandez's future all-star appearances? Um, why not triple digits? Mm. I, <laughs> he's going to officially he's 170. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, the way, as hard as he throws, I think he might be, I mean, he might finally drop into the eighties around his 70th or 80th birthday. So yeah, but by then he'll have mastered location. So it'll right, be fine. Right. He'll be, he'll be all set. No, he looks, he looks great. Um, you know, he, it, it's funny because having these conversations, eight weeks ago, not even that long, six weeks ago, you're going, well, this young starter struggled in this way and this one struggled in this way. And now it's just it's day after day. And um, we got Lynch up tonight to, to watch it, it. Look, it's a tough, this is, this is a tougher series against the Astros than the one in Kansas city. So Lynch and singer may very well get lit up. Um, that stadium is not kind to anybody with an arm on a mound. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, it's really impressive to see what they're doing. And Carlos Hernandez is, depending on the day, is leading the way. If it's not him, it's Lynch. Um, but, yeah, Hernandez was – I don't think he had an exceptional command yesterday. Um, but, you know, with that Cubs lineup, you don't need it. And he he ripped through them and got through seven. And, and just, just another really, really good start for a young Royals pitcher. Yeah, what makes him so impressive? What's so good about his pitching repertoire? Well, I mean, he has five pitches, and I, all of them are probably above average. Um, well, I wouldn't say that. Changeup is probably not, not above average in general, but they all have above average potential. So, 
I mean, we know the four-seam fastball, the sinker. Those two pitches are upper 90s. I mean, he threw his 100th pitch. He threw 97-plus uh, yesterday, which is crazy. Um, I don't think we've seen that with the Royals consistently since Ventura. Um, but he also has a, a, a curveball and a slider, and those two pitches, sometimes one doesn't work. Sometimes they both work. Sometimes neither one works. But he's also got a changeup, which had, we've seen him flash that above average as well. And so he just has – a lot of pitches at his disposal that, and then this goes back to the singer thing. The more pitches you have, the more opportunity you have to find something that's working when one of them or two of them aren't. And, and he's got that ability and, and he's, he seems to be really learning how to utilize that repertoire and not, not necessarily get into a, a rhythm or, or a rut one or the other. Um, but yeah, it's just been, it's been really impressive to watch it. The thing about Hernandez, I, I've said this before, and, and it's especially true against a team like the Cubs, you don't have, all you have to do is throw strikes. You don't have to throw where you want to throw it when you've got stuff like he does. Now, team like the Astros, team like the White Sox, which who, he's gotten through those teams too, but uh, you, you, you've got to be a little more on uh, against those teams. But, you know, he, he's, he's just so filthy that as long as he's around the zone, he's probably going to be fine. And that's, that's been an issue for him in the past, but it really hasn't been for uh, really since he's been back up in the, in the rotation um, since after the all-star break. So it's, it's been really good to see. Is, is it too far to say that Carlos Hernandez might have the highest upside of the, the guys currently up in the MLB for the pitching staff, or would that still belong to a guy like Daniel Lynch? You know, I, I think you can make an argument either way, but the fact that there is an argument to be made for Carlos Hernandez, who has never, I mean, I've, I've written about him a few times. You know, my friend Clint Scholes it has been really high on him um, in the in the past with his Royals prospect stuff, but he's not really ever been part of the conversation. I mean, in my mind, it was, okay, he, he, I think he has a chance to be a high-leverage reliever, which would be great. Uh, <laughs> there, there's nothing wrong with that, but. Um, I didn't see this coming, and and for him to be in that conversation with some of these really highly regarded pitching prospects. I mean, Daniel Lynch, I forgot where he was on the on the Baseball America Top 100 that they put out midseason that he'll probably be off of soon because he's going to graduate from that list. But he was in the top 30, I think, top 40, something like that. Um, and Carlos Hernandez has been every bit his equal in the big leagues, which – it's crazy, but when you've got the stuff that he does, when you throw 98, 99 miles per hour deep into games, when you have that curve and the slider and the occasional changeup, I mean, it, it's tough to beat that. <laughs> and if, if, you're, if you're dreaming on the future and you say, well, which one of these two is better, Hernandez or Lynch? And the answer is, I don't know. Then that's, that's a pretty fun future to dream about to have that right-left combo at the top of a rotation. Yeah, it's just it's so wild when you think about the different paths to how they've gotten these guys. Right. Just in general, with you know whether it is the high draft pick with a guy like Brady Singer or Jackson Coar or with Daniel Lynch, the path of getting him in the comp pick that you got by I believe losing Eric Hosmer, and then with Hernandez, just completely different with what they signed him for, like fifteen hundred dollars, fifteen thousand dollars. Yeah, something something insanely low. In baseball terms, when, and, and when he was 19, too. Most of these guys get signed when they're legally when they're 16, but I mean, <laughs> they get scouted when they're 14 or 15, honestly. And, and they signed him at 19. It's just, it, it, you're right, it's crazy. We're talking with David Lesky inside the crown here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. So the Royals went 6 and 1 last week. Uh, what went right for KC, and how sustainable is that 
what we saw last week for the rest of the season? Well, I mean, they pitched really well. It's pretty, pretty simple. I mean, Monday night, I guess they, they, they brought the bats out. Um, and yesterday they did too. Although, but yesterday's game, they would have won nine to one. And there's, there wasn't a point as I was going through my weekend in review, there wasn't a point when I'm going, Oh, that was a big hit. That was, it was just kind of a very methodical beatdown. And so, yeah, I think the, the half of the six wins against the Cubs, not, not to say that they, don't, they shouldn't count or anything, but I mean, that, that's, that's beating up on a team that that might be the worst team in baseball, truly. And I say that fully well knowing that there is a team currently on an 18 game losing streak. <laughs> I mean, that, that Cubs team is not good. So good, good on the Royals. They, they needed to beat them because the team is on an 18 game losing streak. The Royals lost two of three to them. So it's not, not a given that they will beat bad teams. And so that, that's good on them. But with the Astros, yeah, the pitching was just really good. I mean, their their worst pitch game was the game they lost, and that was on Thursday. And Mike Miner, I thought, I think he just ran out of gas a little bit in that sixth inning because I thought he looked pretty good throughout. Um, and the offense just couldn't couldn't do a whole lot, and they didn't do a ton against the Astros in that series. The pitching just really held them down. So I think I think the, the like I said, the pitching and then getting a chance to play the Cubs never hurts at, at this point in the season. So that that helped, but. I, you know, I, it's going to be a tough series, though. It's going to be a tough week. And they go to Seattle next, and Seattle, they're not – I have a hard time believing that they're actually good. But at some point, you are what your record says you are, and they're a plus-500 team and in, short of in the playoff race. So West Coast trips are always hard when they go West. So it'll, it'll be a tough week because, like I said, it's tough to pitch in Houston. Um Although I, I could see Salvador Perez hitting four or five homers in three games that normally would be fly out to the warning track at Kauffman Stadium. So that <laughs> that's a good thing. But, um, yeah, it's uh, tough to pitch there. And then Seattle's kind of a wild card. So it'll it'll be tough for them to match it this week. But if they do, that'd be really fun. <laughs> Any chance that Salvi has of maybe not beating the current Royals home run record, but, you know, for the long time, um, record before what Moustakis broke it then Solaire did Moustakis just come close I can't remember if he passed it Moustakis only, he hit 38 so okay so he came up short um can Salvador Perez break the pre-Jorge Soler record yeah yeah he can get to 39 I think because so, of Balboni was 36 Moustakis was 38 they've got what are they at 40 35 games I don't know 39 games left yeah 39 games left he has to hit seven home runs yeah I I I think it would be a shock if he doesn't. Um, at this point, with 32 home runs, especially because they've got three games in Houston, four in Baltimore, um, which are very good home run parks for, especially for the way Salvi hits. Um, I, I, at this point, I'd probably be surprised if he doesn't get to 40, and I'd definitely be surprised if he doesn't get to 39, which I guess is only one different. But you know, it's. Um, I, I don't think he's going to catch Solaire, although I mean. <laughs> Crazy if he did sixteen homers in thirty nine games, which it, it's it's doable, I guess. Um, but yeah, I, I would imagine he will finish second on the single season list for the Royals as long as he stays healthy. Well, the good news is for continuing their strong play. You know who needs Bobby Witt up in the majors when you have post engagement Nicky Lopez? <laughs> yeah, man. He first of all, that's a that's a hell of a weekend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and that, and it started with an over five. So it wasn't even like, I think it was over five, maybe over four, but, um, wasn't even like he had three great games, but he, whew, good for him. Um, but it started against the Astros. Actually, it started 
in like June, but you know, he hit his first home run of the year, and it wasn't wasn't a cheapie. And it was, I think it was. It, I saw that it would have been out in twenty nine out of thirty parks. So that's that's a legit home run. Um, he stole an eight bases in his last seven games. I legitimately believe that he is. He's not going to win it, I don't think. But he's a Gold Glove candidate at shortstop. I mean, it's just it's crazy. When you think about the Royals organization, I mean, this is a team that has lost way too many games since the end of the 2017 season. Um, I don't know what the math is. It's too many. And they have Nicky Lopez currently playing shortstop at an extremely high level. They've got Alberto Mondesi on the injured list, who is probably, not probably, he's a better defender at shortstop than Nicky Lopez and has much more upside with a bat. But he's, we've seen what he can do. And then they've got Bobby Witt Jr. waiting in the wings in AAA. I don't know how many organizations have that kind of shortstop depth. And it's it's just it's really interesting how bad they are given what they have at arguably the most important position on the field. But yeah, Nicky Lopez, boy, he has been. I I mean everything that we all thought he would be when when everybody was clamoring for him to come up when Chris Owings was thinking up the joint in 2019. Um, it took a little while, but he seems to have figured a lot of things out, and now it's hard to imagine the lineup without him. So there's about a quarter of the uh, the season left at this point. What do you think from here on is the best case scenario for the team in this final stretch? Oh, you know, I think you win as many games as you can. I think it's it's you get a, you get a look at some young players if you can. Um, I personally would still be playing Olivares over Michael A. Taylor as, as as well as Taylor has played, and he's he's been pretty good offensively, honestly, for. I don't know, month and a half now, almost two months. It's kind of gone unnoticed, but he's been pretty solid. Um, but I would get Oliveras or Kyle Isbell up and see what they have. But, you know, I, I kind of there, – there's all this talk. You want to lose as many games as possible. You want to put yourself in great draft position because winning, winning 78 games doesn't do anything. You might as well win 58 games. All that talk. It's all well and good, and I get it completely. But I also think that's a losing culture. And at some point, you've got to start winning some games. And the Royals have lost a lot, enough games over the last three-plus seasons that they need to win some games. And does it really matter at this point, given what you see on the field? I mean, the Orioles, the Diamondbacks, the Pirates, the Cubs, uh, the Rangers, these are teams that are going to lose, uh, most of them 100-plus, some of them 95-plus. But it would be very difficult for the Royals to get into that top five or six in the draft anyway. So take those last 39 games. They play 23 against teams that have no hope in the playoffs. Um, Three of those are against the Mariners in September, which by then they may have no hope in the playoffs. So, you know, they're not not exactly playing a gauntlet of a schedule, especially after this week. Win as many as you can. Go out there. In my mind, this is such a stupid thing because the whole round number thing, I would love to see them get to 73 wins just so they avoid 90 losses. And I think that that would be a – a win for their psyches. Um, but I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, obviously, again, this week is, is a challenge. And if they, if they tank this week, things could change. But if they go 20 and 19, that wouldn't surprise me. That puts them at 75 wins. I think that puts them in a nice position then to say, hey, free agent center fielder, whoever it might be, or starting pitcher, or whatever you want to do, hey, look, we are on the upswing. Come be our... The example that's always been used, Jason Worth, when he signed with the uh, with the Nationals back way too long ago for him to be the example. But you know what I mean. Yeah. It's 
be that guy, and you can be that that carrying piece. It's Charlie Marte. He's a he's a free agent. The Royals need a center fielder. I, I don't you know maybe maybe getting to seventy six wins, or whatever it might end up being, tells Charlie Marte, hey, this team is actually a lot closer than I thought. I'd love to be that final piece or one of the final pieces for a push, and that might help attract some free agents. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot there's a lot more benefit. I think to winning as many games and getting to 75, 76, 77 than, than there is to lose and, and pick eight. I just don't see the huge benefit there. So I think get as much of a look at some young guys as you can and, and win as many games as you can. That's, that's, it, it's, just, it's very basic, but I think it's accurate. I don't know your baseball movie library in your head, but I, I think it's, is it Mr. 3000 with uh, Bernie Mac where they're contending for third place at the end and, I, I don't know. Maybe that sounds, oh, that sounds right. Oh, who? What is? It? I think I think you're right. Um, oh man, I can picture him, but I'm not sure if I'm picturing the right. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yes. and they're like <laughs> they're at the end. Like instead of him going for the three thousand hit, he lays down a, a bunt or something to help them win, so they can get third yeah, place. That is good. Okay. Exactly. Good. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's the Royals now. They are in contention. You know, can they come back on the Tigers and get third place? And basically, what you're saying is, if they can. Max Scherzer, Locke, Kansas City. Yeah, exactly. I, <laughs> that, you, can, you can put that in ink. Uh, Max Scherzer starting game one of the playoffs for the Royals next season. <laughs> there we go. He is David Lesky. Check out all his work inside the crown. Love catching the weekend reviews, but also everything that goes on over the course of the week. Again, subscribe to the Substack Inside the Crown with David Lesky. David, thank you for the time as always. Definitely. Thanks, Derek. All right, that's David Lesky. He joins us every Monday here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk of Inside the Crown. This is RCST on FM 1017 at 1320 KLWN. Case of the Mondays at the top of the 4 o'clock hour, and then we'll continue on with our KU football quarterback season preview. Tough getting out of bed this morning after your weekend-long bender? Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. Instead of focusing on Monday, it's time to rehash the glory days of the weekend that was right now on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson. When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No. No, man. All right, it's a Monday time for Case of the Mondays here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. First up, KU is involved in a five-star recruit. You know, not crazy news there. We hear that all the time. But they made the finalist list for Mark Mitchell along with Duke, Missouri, and UCLA. I actually got to see this kid, weirdly enough, play in eighth grade, and it was very funny to watch. The only reason I bring this up is it is everything you could think of from, you know, an eighth grade kid who's going to go on to be, I would assume, I don't know, first round pick or top 10 recruit, whatever, playing against a bunch of eighth graders. Where he was at the time, he would have had to be like 6'5", 6'7", in eighth grade. And the kids he's going up against... You know, most of them are the taller kids are like 6'2", 6'3". A lot of the other kids are 5'8", 5'6". You know, and just to see him dominate, like he was playing center, now he's a small forward. It was kind of comical to watch. Um, I felt bad for the other kids going up against him. But 
I, I don't really know like much about his game. That's what's funny. I saw him play in eighth grade because all it was was, hey, we got to stop, got the rebound, ran down the court and laid it in because the guy guarding me is five foot seven. It was kind of funny to watch, but he uh, is a top 10 kid for the class of 2022. If you look at the crystal ball on 24-7 sports, all seven picks are have him going to Duke. If he does choose to go elsewhere outside of Kansas, that'd be another kind of heartbreaker in the line of local kid goes to prep school his last year of high school and then ends up not committing to KU after they were originally in state. And I believe all of these guys were at Bishop Miege, Bull Bull. I believe he was at Bishop Miege, then ended up going to a prep school elsewhere, ended up going to Oregon. Jeremiah Robinson Earl was, I believe, at Bishop Miege as well. I think he went down to IMG Academy in Florida. He ends up going to Villanova. Mark Mitchell was at Bishop Miege. This year, he's going to Sunrise Christian Academy, which that is in Kansas. And I guess the good news there is you have a guy like Grady Dick, who's on the team to kind of be in his ear to convince him, hey, you should come to Kansas the whole time. KU would be all right without him, obviously, but it's certainly someone you would really want, especially that he is right in your own backyard or very near it. And he would be the headliner. Think about that. It's an already very strong class for KU. You're number two in terms of your recruiting class. If you get him, you're probably moving up to number one. Who knows if it shakes out that way in the end because all it takes is one team nabbing two guys who are in the top seven, and all of a sudden they have the number one class, but... That would really firmly put you, I think, running in at the number one, number two class in the country at that point if you were able to nail him. Manny Pacquiao fought, apparently, over the weekend. I guess he's still fighting. Who knew? The guy he fought, and he actually lost the fight as well, your Dennis Ugas, I believe I'm pronouncing, I, I actually have no idea if I'm pronouncing that right. He won the fight. He got 11 days of notice, did Ugas. And yet he still prepared for it and beat him. One in unanimous decision. He was a plus 310 underdog. Could have made some nice scratch on that. The bigger story here, though, is why is Manny Pacquiao still fighting? If 42 years old, he's fought in over 70 career fights now. Career record 62-8-2. Just rest. Let it be. Like I said, I had no idea that Manny Pacquiao was still fighting. And this is a thing that happens with... I feel like all fighters, you're like, wait, that guy's still fighting. But also at the same point in time, you're not surprised because we just see it so often where these fighters just refuse to give up on the sport and they're 40, 42, 45 years old and they get back in the ring. You're thinking, what are you doing? Why are you doing this to yourself? You've made millions and millions of dollars. You've won so much fame and you've won titles. Why do you need to keep going? But they just get addicted to doing this. They get addicted to getting the crap beat out of them, I guess. Uh, but in reality, I think they just get addicted to the limelight of the sport. And it's weird because, you know, it's, it's very easy to, once you get to a certain point in the NBA or in your NFL career, it doesn't just become about the physical nature of it, but it also becomes about, well, I'm just not as good as these other guys. But it doesn't seem like that happens to the boxers. And that's, that's what's very odd. You not only have the physical impact, but... They just don't seem to care, but there's always enough people in the boxing world where you could just play some or get some match against some guy who's some up-and-comer who, you know, maybe you can battle back with him. I, I'm just incensed by the fact that he is still fighting. And this is what adds to the story even more. Manny Pacquiao is getting ready for a possible presidential race. 
He's currently a senator right now. Imagine, because, I mean, that's the way we're trending anyway. Like, celebrities are just going to be all the guys in office. Like, Dwayne The Rock Johnson is going to be the president, I don't know, 2028, 2032, when he gets done making all these movies that make him millions and millions of dollars. That'll be fun. What 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 lives longer, the Fast and Furious series or Dwayne The Rock Johnson? You know, what ends first, I guess? Does Fast and Furious continue on through his presidency but like imagine if we had politicians as professional boxers i'm sure actually a lot of people would really enjoy that like what if what if that's just who won the presidency like okay donald trump joe biden boxing match winner take all i think though the other side of that is you know if we had a, a athlete run for senate or congress or presidency who would be the most likely to win? Now, we've seen this fair amount with former, like, athletes or former coaches, right? Like, Tommy Tuberville is, I believe, senator? I don't know what his position is, but some some political person of power in Alabama, former head coach at Auburn. But that's a former coach. Like, I wonder what would happen if you had a current active player. Like, if Tom Brady ran for president, he's probably winning, right? I think we can all agree with that. I mentioned Dwayne The Rock Johnson, but he's not hes not a current athlete. Like, if Patrick Mahomes runs for Kansas Senate, is he winning just off the popularity of vote as well? I'm sure that's how Manny Pacquiao got elected. I mean, he is... Like, Manny Pacquiao, to us, is a very well-known athlete, but in his homeland of Philippine, the Philippines, Manny Pacquiao is basically Michael Jordan. So imagine if Michael Jordan in 1998, after he had won another three-peat, said, you know, I already tried retiring to go to baseball. Now I'm going to run for president. You think he gets elected? Maybe not 20 years ago, but the way we've gone now, I feel like it might happen. Uh, Shikari Richardson, the famous sprinter who... Won the U.S. Olympic trials, then didn't end up making it over to the Olympics because she smoked weed and that was not allowed, which got a lot of people riled up. Got some people on the other end, like you had Emmanuel Acho talking about, could you imagine if people who threw the javelin were high right before they threw that? It was a very, very not fun time uh, in the social media world for a couple days there. But Shikari Richardson back at it, there was the, I don't know, some sort of tournament where they have like the world championships and they have leagues and stuff for running. It's not just the Olympics. And she was participating in the 100 meter and didn't do so well. In fact, she finished last of the eight woman race. So despite her finishing last, instead of interviewing the person who finished first, they decided because she's the most noteworthy name, which is funny because if she would have never gotten kicked out of the Olympics, she wouldn't be the most noteworthy name among all the different sprinters, right? Like, we have other people from the U.S. who might have won golds or silvers who, if I asked you, like, name five, you might not, but you probably know who Shikari Richardson is. Anyway, I don't know why she was getting interviewed finishing in last place, but this is what she had to say. 
<laughs> this is one race. <laughs> I'm not done. <laughs> you know what I'm capable of. Count me out if you want to. Talk all the shit you want. Because I'm here to stay. I'm not done. I'm the sixth fastest woman in this game ever. And can't nobody ever take that from me. Okay, so first of all, I think it was a really sympathetic time for her when she did get kicked out because of pot and I don't really need to get into that like I feel like that's one of those things where everybody is you know on one hand it's well those are the rules but then the other hand you have the okay this is so stupid that's why you would get kicked out it has no performance enhancing value I don't I don't really care um but the funny part about this is that again if you notice what Shikari Richardson said she goes you know I'll be back Here, let's just play this again this is one race. I'm not done. You know what I'm capable of. Count me out if you want to. Talk all the shit you want. Because I'm here to stay. I'm not done. I'm the sixth fastest woman in this game ever. And can't nobody ever take that from me. I'm not done. I'm here to stay. This is just one race. Well, I mean, she was technically right. She was about to run the 200 meter. As well, she had to run that later in the turn. Oh, she withdrew. So apparently, Shikari Richardson was done, and that one race was enough for her. We also, over the weekend, found out there's a very important discrepancy. The difference between being a manager, the difference between being a coach, is very, very different. Just ask LA Angels, former Tampa Bay Rays manager, former Chicago Cubs manager, Joe Madden. What is it like coaching Shohei Otani and Mike Trout? What is it like managing? I'm a manager. I'm not a coach, so I'm, I'm managing, okay? This was at the Little League World Series. They had Joe Madden there. The Angels were, were playing a game uh, against Cleveland as part of the like Little League World Series game that they play every year. And Joe Madden was being interviewed by one of the kids at the Little League World Series. This is like an 11, 12-year-old. He asked him, what's it like coaching Mike Trout, Shohei Otani? Very basic question. You know, fine question. A fun question to get to know what it's like. You know, share a cool story about Mike Trout or Shohei Otani because they're some of the best players in the game. And instead takes the time to say, I'm a manager, not a coach. Just so condescending, dude. So apparently those things are completely different, you know, because in the NFL one of the head coaches jobs they have to set the starting lineup and in the MLB they have to set the starting lineup and you know in the NBA they have to come up with what strategies their team wants to do and in the MLB their managers not coaches they have to come up with the strategy what they want their teams to do oh wait so managing and coaching is basically the same thing it's just a funny word that somebody decided to change that hey I'm the manager instead of being a coach Shut up, Joe. Last one we got here on the case of the Mondays, the crate challenge. Have you seen this? Have you heard about this? The crate challenge. People are lining up crates and they basically turn it into, it's ascending upwards. So you have one crate and then you have another with two right in front of it and then another with three right in front of it. So it's like you're going upstairs and then it descends down the other way. So you're going up and then you're going down. And the crate challenge, you have to go up. And I think the highest point is... It's either four or five crates high. A lot of people trying to do this, put it on social media, put the video. A couple people where they were successful. Most people 
unsuccessful where they would get on the fourth or fifth rung and it would just be wobbly. They'd fall down. They'd sustain serious injuries. Where the heck did all these crates come from? Do people just have crates sitting around at their house? Did I miss the memo here? Like last time when when COVID-19, it was first announced that it was going to cause all these issues in the States and people started flooding the stores. You couldn't buy toilet paper. You couldn't buy all these different items. Did people just buy a bunch of crates for some reason? Where did these all come from? You know what I think? Crates, COVID-19, coronavirus, all words that start with the letter C. You know what else starts with the letter C? Conspiracy. How do we know that aliens, aliens did not bring these crates, drop them off, and basically like Trail of Tears us? They put COVID-19 on the crates, and now everybody has these crates. Bada bing, bada boom. Obviously joking. Um, But in all seriousness, why are people doing this? I am honestly sensing a list this week of the best and worst challenges that have occurred. Whether it's social media, whether it's just challenges in general, right? We had like the Tide Pod Challenge. Now we have this crate challenge. Why are we doing this to ourselves? They're just things that injure and harm ourselves. Can't we do something where it's fun? Like... Hey, make the most money challenge. Hey, uh, eat tasty food challenge. Not, hey, let's climb up a crate, fall off, and break my back challenge. That'd be fun for me. But maybe I'm just grumpy because it is a Monday. That's the case of the Mondays here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. RCSD continues on the other side to get into our KU football quarterback preview. We've got some audio to play. We got to talk specifically, like individually, to all the different quarterbacks, at least the three that we mentioned, who seem to be in the the running for the job with Jason Bean, Jalen Daniels, and Miles Kendrick. So we'll play those for you coming up at the end of the 4 o'clock hour and at the beginning of the 5 o'clock hour, and we'll go more in-depth on the three guys specifically with Jason Bean, Miles Kendrick, and Jalen Daniels. But first, just looking at the position as a whole, and trying to decipher what needs to be done, where they are in reference with the rest of the Big 12. There's two big stats that I want to take a look at here, and we're going to look at these since Todd Reesing left. So this would be 2010 and on. That gives you 11 seasons to look at for KU football since Todd Reesing left. And the two stats I want to look at here are KU's ranks compared to the Big 12 in total QBR and yards per attempt. You know, it's not the only stats that matter, but two of the better ones, in my opinion. So by total QBR, the qualified quarterbacks that fall into this, it has to, you have to have a player who plays a minimum of 20 action plays per team game, as defined by ESPN, who puts together the total QBR. Not totally sure what an action play is. Does that just mean, I, I don't know, maybe it just doesn't count like kneel downs, things of that nature. So if you go by that, then you don't have any eligible quarterbacks for KU in 2016. But it does give you two eligible quarterbacks in 2017 because you had two uh, guys qualified. One finished 10th, one finished 12th 
out of 12 quarterbacks in the league in total QBR. So for that year, we specifically in this exercise took the guy who finished ninth and the guy who finished 11th from that year and then didn't have anybody from 2016. But here's comparison. And this goes back to the idea of with the quarterback play, with all the different positions, but really the quarterback play, can you just get up to a Big 12 level? There is a, from a linear perspective, being 10th place, if you're last in the Big 12, it doesn't sound like there there's a difference. But there, there very much is a difference in terms of if you're 10th place but at a Big 12 level versus being 10th place, last in the conference, but also one of the worst in the country. And we've seen that probably too many times. So if you can be worst in the conference at something, but instead of it being, hey, I'm not only the worst at this thing, but I am the worst among all the other peers. I'm the worst even among Conference USA teams. Whatever it is, if you can go from being that by far the worst, you know, in Moneyball, Brad Pitt talking about the team and he says there's 40 feet of crap and then there's us. If you can get rid of that 40 feet of crap and get back to where the next in line is, to where you're tied ninth, right? You're you're tied with the next worst team or where you're within spitting distance of that next worst team. That's the first step to be made because that is improvement. That is moving forward. That is an upward trajectory. And you have to make those steps. And to be more competitive, which... How many times have KU football fans over the years said, just be competitive? And that bar hasn't been able to be cleared. Well, to be competitive, before you start seeing the wins, you have to make that jump from being not only by far the worst to being, well, they might be the worst, but they're right there with that other team. You're among your peers in the Big 12. That is the goal. So from 2010... Through 2020, KU has ranked last in total QBR in 2010, 2012, 2013, 2015, 2017, and 2020. And again, 2016 we didn't use because KU didn't have a qualified quarterback. That is seven of a possible 10 seasons because we didn't count 2016. On average... If you just take the next worst team, whoever it happened to be that year. So this isn't even taking the next worst school of saying, well, this school finished ninth a couple times, but they also finished eighth and seventh. No, this is just saying whoever else that year had the worst situation and taking the aggregate of them. They were only worse in 2011, 2014, and 2019. And if you total up what the average of the QBR was from that span of 2010 to 2020, KU's average total QBR was 35 and a half. And that's their average. The best season was 2019. KU finished eighth in the Big 12. That's what I'm talking about. You don't necessarily have to be top five. Get around in that discussion. That was a 62 QBR for Carter Stanley. And that was a three-win team that had a pretty good shot at being able to win four, five, six games that year. You probably should have beat Coastal Carolina that year. You lost 12-7 after you scored a touchdown on the opening drive, and then you kind of 
bungled the game from there. They even missed some kicks for you. You, you kept running up the middle with Puka Williams on like fourth and one, which was just kind of dumb. And you should have won that game. You probably should have beat West Virginia. Like they out yarded them. It was yards per play. They averaged like two more yards per play. Had a couple turnovers. You didn't win that game. You very easily could have beat Texas that year. That was the game that Texas won. I believe it was 50 to 48 down in Austin off the last minute field goal. You very easily that season could have won four, five, six games. That was your most competitive team since Todd Reese. I think it. there's probably a good reason that it coincides with KU's best QBR finish in that span at 62. And whether you want to argue that QBR is a quarterback independent stat or if it's based on guys around him, like that matters a lot too. You had a really good receiving core around Carter Stanley that year. Andrew Parchman, who's at Florida State now. Stephon Robinson, who's at Northwestern. You had Puka Williams at tailback. I think Khalil Herbert started the year with you at tailback. Those are good position players around your quarterback. You know, the offensive line wasn't great, but it was solid enough. It was good enough. A lot better than it was last year. So it is a bit of dependency on your other guys, and that is important to note that these bad QBR years aren't just on the quarterback, but it definitely matters a lot. So you had that season, and you were competitive. 2014 was the only other year where KU was even above 40. And most often, most years, the next worst team is above that number. In fact, most often, a lot of the years, they might even be above 50 for the next worst team. But KU was only above 40 from 2010 on in total QBR two times. One that Carter Stanley year, the other one Michael Cummings in 2014. He was at 55.1. So again, only twice in an 11-year span was KU above a 40 for total QBR. And this is why that's a low bar. On average, the next worst team besides KU in that span by total QBR taking the worst team, taking their QBR every year, was 43.2. So on average, the next worst team, their QBR was a number that only got surpassed by Kansas twice over an 11-year span. That's what you're dealing with here. And last season was obviously really tough. And again, this goes back in line with some of the pieces around him. It is a a team game, and QBR is a little bit team-influenced here. But Jalen Daniels' QBR was a 23.8. And here is how big of a drop-off that was to next. Will Howard was at Kansas State. He was the guy, the young freshman, who had to fill in for Skylar Thompson. And Will Howard had a tough season. He had more interceptions than touchdown throws. And yet still, Will Howard's QBR was 50.5 a number that had only been surpassed by two KU quarterbacks. That, like, Will Howard had one of the worst individual seasons for a K-State quarterback in recent memory. And one of their worst is still better than all but two of your best seasons in the last 11. And the gap between Will Howard at 50.5 on QBR to Jalen Daniels is only a few points off of the same gap of 10th of 11th, the same gap between 10th and 1st with Howard and Spencer Rattler at the top. That's how big of a gap there was. You have to close that gap. You have to get in line with whatever the next worst team is in the Big 12. Get on Big 12 level in terms of QB play because right now you haven't even had that. The other stat that I wanted to look at was yards per attempt. 
and this is as a team in the Big 12. The QBR one is done by individuals among who qualified. The yards per attempt, you get it as a team. So you get every quarterback that factors in because with KU, you've seen here's where it's been two guys. It's been three guys, right? So if you go by yards per attempt, which, not again, not the perfect stat, but it is a good way of telling, are you stretching the field? Are you able to hit long balls? How productive are you as a passing unit? Because you can get a good yard per attempt number in a lot of different ways. You can get there by completing a very high percentage of your passes so that a lot of them are moving forward, or you can get there by completing a lot of long balls, or you can get there by being very efficient, right? There's a lot of ways to get there. And at the end of the day, the importance of gaining a certain amount of yards per play correlates with gaining first downs, moving the ball down the field, getting into the red zone. The more often you're in the red zone, the more times you're going to score points, so forth. So typically, when you look at the best offenses in the country, or the best quarterbacks, they have the highest yards per attempt. So by that metric, and if we would have gone by touchdowns and interceptions too, I'm, I'm sure it would be kind of the same situation here. Kansas finished last in the Big 12 in yards per attempt in the air in 2010, 2012, 13, 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, and 2020. That's eight of 11 possible seasons. The only other years they didn't, 2011, 2014, 2019. Again, 2014, Michael Cummings, 2019, Carter Stanley. 2011, you just had a not the worst year out of Jordan Webb, I guess you could say. Over the course of that span, KU's quarterbacks averaged 5.9 yards per attempt. The next worst team in that span was averaging... 6.2. So it's not a not a giant gap to overcome as, as far as that goes, but you're under six yards per attempt, and that'll consistently put you at the bottom of the conference. I mean, you look at what some of the best offenses are doing, they're giving you nine, ten yards per attempt. And the number you look at to say, if they can just get here, then you feel comfortable where they're at is usually about seven. But if you can get to six and a half, it's it's doable. Okay, 2019 with Carter Stanley, you were eighth in the Big 12 in yards per attempt. You were at 7.1, so you cleared that bar of seven. But that's been a number that's been so hard for different quarterbacks to clear at KU in recent memory. 2014, you were also eighth at 6.5 yards per throw. So you got to get to at least 6.5 there. Seven, though, is a number you really need. And especially now under the offense, they'll be running where it might be more of a running offense. It might be more of a ball control offense. And what that means is you're going to have less passing. But when you do pass, it has to be effective because you should be in situations where maybe it's more beneficial to you passing if they're loading up the box, right, against the run to where now you have better numbers to pass the ball. And you have to be able to take advantage of that which you haven't been in the past. Jalen Daniels last year, 4.7 yards per attempt. Miles Kendrick, 5.4. Thomas McVitie only had 10 throws, but it was 2.4. You didn't get enough. So again, another stat, guys around the quarterback matter. If you're not having good offensive line play, you're not going to have time to do a five, seven-step drop and launch it downfield. And I'm acknowledging that here. I'm not putting all the blame on the quarterbacks. I'm just saying... Whatever you get from the quarterback statistically, in terms of their value, 
It has to be better. That's no secret to anybody. But it doesn't necessarily have to be elite. It doesn't have to be great. It doesn't have to be top five or six or even seven in the conference. It can be eighth or ninth, or it can be tenth as long as it's right in line with the other Big 12 teams, with the next worst Big 12 teams, because right now that hasn't been the case for KU football at the quarterback position. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Let's further preview the QB spot and go more in-depth on the individuals. This is RCST on FM 1017 and 1320, KLWN. Depend on it. Coming up at the top of the 5 o'clock hour, we'll further our KU football quarterback positional previews. We're going to have our different positional previews over the next couple weeks as we get ready for the season in less than two weeks now. And we'll talk about Miles Kendrick and Jalen Daniels at the top of the 5 o'clock hour, what they can do, what they did in years past, how they can improve. As far as the other guy in the quarterback race that we mentioned early on, you know, if if you want, you can get more in-depth and say that, oh, yeah, so-and-so has a chance or, you know, my guy, Miles Fallon, has a chance, but that's not going to happen. So we narrowed it down to three, and Jason Bean is the other guy. Now, while Kendrick is in his final season, Jalen Daniels is still technically a freshman due to the COVID year. Not sure what we consider Jason Bean. He was a true freshman 2018, red-shirted. He played one game, two snaps, so you could play four games and still red-shirt. 2019 was his red-shirt freshman season. And then last year was his red-shirt sophomore season. So he's either a, what, fourth-year sophomore now? or he's a redshirt junior, depending on how things are looked at with COVID. And a very unique guy, because of the group, I think Jalen Daniels probably has the strongest arm. Miles Kendrick is probably your, I don't know, maybe most accurate of the passers, or maybe that would still go to Jalen Daniels, but maybe your best leader or best uh, game manager of the group. The thing that Jason Bean has going for him is that he is the fastest, and he is very, very fast. We're in a 10-3-6 in the 100-meter, and this was, I believe, in high school when he ran the 10-3-6. That is what DK Metcalf ran in the 10-3-6 when he was kind of messing around and competing at the, I think it was the U.S. qualifiers for the Olympics. That's how fast this dude is. Last year, North Texas completed 54.5% of his passes. He's got to get better. Over 1,100 yards, but 7.8 yards per attempt. That would be a number that'll play at Kansas, especially compared to what some guys have done in years past, as we were just mentioning with our stat breakdown. 14 TDs to 5 picks, that's a really good touchdown-to-interception ratio. And then if you add on the rushing scores, that's 19 touchdowns to the 5 interceptions. He had 5 more rushing touchdowns and 346 rushing yards over 6 per carry. And if the offensive line, it could be improved, but even if the offensive line isn't as good this year, maybe it's more reason to start a guy like Jason Bean because he'll be you would think, better suited with his legs to avoid pressure in the pocket. But over the course of his career, you're talking about six yards per attempt. Over the course of your career, you're talking 17 touchdowns to nine interceptions for Jason Bean. He is the most accomplished quarterback of what any of Miles Kendrick, Jalen Daniels, or Jason Bean are, just in fact that he you know, had a varying degree of success at the Division One level when he was at North Texas. And... We haven't seen, you know, times of success yet with Miles Kendrick and Jalen Daniels outside of flashes here or there between games. So he has that going for him. He has the experience. He has the speed factor, the athleticism. I think Jalen, like I said, has the strongest arm, but still Jason Bean has probably a stronger arm than Miles Kendrick. So there are certain pluses and minuses to think of with everybody there. 
Here is Jim Zabrowski, the quarterback coach for KU, giving his opinion on Jason Bean. Summer, well, you learn summer wise, the strength stack is the update. You know, they say really good athlete, right? Can run really fast and really good athlete. You see the first couple of days, he's got a live arm, strong arm. And coming from a system, I think he came, it's a different system, obviously. Um, a totally different surroundings. So I think the part of trying to figure out how to handle play calls and all that stuff is a part that um, is going to take a little bit of time with them. In terms of that, that part, great. Um, that's why I kind of at least see arms, you know, good arm strength, arms live, uh, runs fast, can run fast. Um, Straight did a really good job weight room wise this summer, I think, you know, in terms of getting stronger and so on. So that's kind of like you would find out on that kind of stuff. It's kind of fun. So it's kind of good to see like, hey, like I said, it's day two, but it's good to see like, okay, but I'm okay, good. Let's see what happens. And that's interesting there with Zabrowski talking about the play calling because that's going to be obviously one thing with him, the fact that, yeah, he needs to learn the playbook. But he's not, you wouldn't think theoretically, that far behind the other guys just because, yes, he got there late. He wasn't there in the spring, and the other guys were. But in terms of the playbook, I don't know if the other guys were able to get it over the summer. I'm sure to a certain extent they got more familiar with it, but it's not like they're years ahead of where Jason Bean is in terms of knowing the playbook. And the other part of this, too, is what does that affect on KU's offense? We know that wherever Leipold has gone, they've been multiple, and in his time at Buffalo, they kind of adjusted and adapted to whatever they had personnel-wise, stylistically. So it's interesting because Jason Bean, if he's your quarterback, it is a very different dynamic than what you're getting from the other guys, which makes me think that, it could be a little bit different offense if he's in there. But I think more than anything, because we heard Lance Leipold uh, at the open practice talk about, you know, we could have kind of different formations or packages for certain guys. So I could very much see a world where if Miles Kendrick is seen as the number one guy. Well, there's still some packages, some formations for Jason Bean. Not to say it's a QB controversy or it's a rotation of drives. It's just, hey, we're going to have a couple plays where it's like a read option game with Jason Bean. But it's almost like a, a wildcat type of formation, but a much better opportunity to throw the ball. Now, we got to talk to Jason Bean on August 6th, and that was, I don't know, one of the first days, maybe the first day of practice, and got to talk to him again in the one-on-one -on -one setting at KU Football Media Day last Tuesday, and you could tell he's already starting to open up a little bit more, and it was fun getting to talk to him. Talking with Jason Bean, who's faster, you or Daryl Stuckey? Stucky, 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 Stucky in his prime. Yep, Stucky. <laughs> Stucky's pointing back at you. Only ran a ten six, so I got stuck. I got stuck. You got stuck. Right. Right. That's that's the that's the quarterback answer right there. Yeah. Uh, are there any specific plays that you guys are running right now to specifically maybe get you out in the open field and, and kind of show off your legs? Um, I think yeah, there's a couple, but I think just overall, just being able to, just to be a quarterback, you know, stand in the pocket and deliver balls, and, and when I have to get out of the pocket, you know. I mean, that's a great, but, um, you know, I think for me, I'd I rather really, I really be in the pocket delivering balls than getting out, but, I mean, I'm blessed to have my legs and be able to run fast and get out of the pocket when I need to. Do you have a favorite route to throw? Um, I like all nine. I like them all. Um, you know, be, like I said, being able to sit in the pocket and deliver a good ball is, is probably more satisfying to me than getting out of the pocket and delivering a ball on the run. Have you ever tested to see, like, what's the furthest you can throw? Um, I've never tested it, but I think in the game it's probably somewhere 60, 65 yards. Mm -hmm. Who do you think is the funniest in the quarterback room? Um, 
In the quarterback room, it's probably either JD or Conrad. Yeah. yeah. Are they just funny in their personality? Do they tell jokes? What? Uh, I think them just being them, you know, they, they have jokes that kind of just flow out, you know, just not even trying, just being funny guys. So. How much have some of the, the guys who have currently been here kind of taken you under your wing, being the new guy from, from North Texas, and, and even some of the freshmen as well, and, and kind of helped you along? Uh, I think it's been great. You know, I'm, I'm blessed to be here. The team has welcomed me with open arms. Um, you know, they're happy that I'm here. I'm happy that I'm here. Um, you know, being with the quarterbacks, they've embraced me being here, you know. Um, you know, being a new guy is kind of nerve-wracking, you know, coming in here. But um, ever since day one, you know, it's just been amazing being here. Was that tough at all for you with – because I believe – did you commit here when Emmett Jones was at the time the interim head coach and then after that Lance Leipold takes over? Was that tough at all for you in, in terms of making the decision to transfer here? Um, I think not really. You know, being that Coach Jones is going to be able to stay here. Um, you know, he was the main factor in me coming here. And so I think him being able to stay on the staff was great for me. So, What are the biggest things you learned in your time when you got to start and perform really well in North Texas? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think just, you know, having an even kill attitude, you know, you know, being happy when the when we're scoring a lot, you know, trying to just keep a, you know, a positive attitude even when we're down. Um, so I think that's just the main thing, you know, trying to keep an even kill attitude throughout the whole game. Do you have any favorite hobbies outside of football? Uh, I like watching movies and I love listening to music, just chilling and listening to music. What type of music do you like listening to? Um, I like country and rap. Really? Yeah. That's quite the mix. Yeah, it is. Um, uh, being at uh, North Texas, those guys, um, uh, they were big country fans, so mm-hmm. they kind of just, you know, <laughs> I kind of just, you know, fell in love with the country music, being around those guys a lot. So, so what do you think of, I've heard Kenny Logan's the DJ in the locker room. What do you think of his mix? Uh, he's pretty good. Uh, you know, there's some times where it's a, kind of a questionable choice of, of music, but so far it's been good. Do you ever get country in that? Um, nah, not really. But uh, <laughs> so, sometimes at practice we get a little country music, and I get to, you know, bop my head to some country music too. So, What about movies? Do you have a favorite movie recently or favorite movie of all time? Um, my favorite movie series is probably the Fast and Furious movie okay. series, and um, I also enjoy the Rambo series too. Okay. Do you have a favorite Fast and Furious uh, Fast Five. Yeah? Yep. Is that the Brazil one? Yep. Okay. Sure is. yep. I agree with you. Yep. All right. Thanks, man. I appreciate yep. it. Appreciate it. All right. That was Jason Bean. And yeah, uh, fun to talk to. And we'll see what's in store for him. I think uh, Bryson Stricker on Twitter has been kind of leaking out some info that he's been doing well at KU football practices, at least of late. So it's all about consistency from here. If you continue to perform well, it practices, then you have enough time to make up ground. Otherwise, you're probably looking at a situation where maybe you can't take over till in the middle of the season, or maybe you're in the quarterback battle next year, and it's between Jason Bean and Jalen Daniels. But certainly he would add a pretty different dynamic to this offense, and he is pretty accomplished from what he did at North Texas compared to what we've seen some seasons from uh, some other KU quarterbacks. We'll talk about the other two in the positional battle with Jalen Daniels and Miles Kendrick coming up at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Uh, We talked a little about Jason Bean earlier in the show, and you know it, it sounds like he might be having some good practices of late that who knows if that turns any into anything it could just be a short stint if he continues to practice well then this is what I said at the end of last week at the end of the day while I was 
feeling like Miles Kendrick and a lot of other people have kind of felt this same way that he is the front runner right now for the quarterback position. As much as all that might be true, everything we had seen and heard to that point was through what two, two and a half weeks of camp, and there's still another two weeks to go before the season as of Friday. So theoretically, we're only halfway there. Anything that happens in these final two weeks will have just as much value as what happened in the first two weeks. Can Jason Bean usurp a guy like Miles Kendrick if that is what things are looking at right now? Absolutely. But right now, I do think Miles Kendrick is the guy that you're kind of looking at at the top of the quarterback depth chart. He is a veteran. He is the guy that you feel like is going to get you in the right play the most often between the group. And he is the guy who is going to allow the offensive play callers with Andy Kotelnicki calling the plays, but he takes input from a bunch of the different coaches and putting together the game plan and everything with that. That's going to be your first choice as a new coordinator. Who's going to do put us in the right situations for the plays I'm calling so that we have a chance to execute them the best? And maybe Jason Bean or Jalen Daniels catches him in that regard, but it seems like right now, based on that ability, based on the guy to be kind of the best game manager and not turn the ball over, it feels like Miles Kendrick might be headed in that direction. Here is what Lance Leipold had to say on Miles Kendrick at KU Football Media Day last Tuesday. Well, he really impressed me over the summer. Just, uh, again, his, his, his work ethic and how he goes about it. Um, you know, he's heard forever that he's not the tallest and all those other things. You know, look at it. We're trying to find ways that creates throwing lanes for him. But, you know, his he's a steady of a guy that you want that you know as far as that quarterback position goes he he, he can flush away a mistake and he battles back he, he has good leadership skills I think he has very good confidence um, he's been very impressive in a lot of ways um, you know he's a guy that a lot of times if I looked at it uh, without really getting down you might have to go back to all my notes early on but you know he's a guy I see as a coach someday he has that type of mentality. He's learned how to compete. He does a lot of things, and uh, I really respect him. And everything that you do as being a hard worker, it doesn't guarantee that you're going to be the starter. But certainly at that position where leadership is so important, it matters maybe a little more. And he got the – they give out like a guy of the week award, and then they had the guy of the year or guy of the summer or something like that. And he ended up winning that award as well. So – you know he has the coaching staff's trust. You hear him, Lance Leipold, talk about, you know, he's a guy that I think could be a coach someday. That's kind of what it seems like you're looking for in that position. Now, we know as far as the performance, it has to be better for Miles Kendrick if he is going to indeed be the starter. First year he played in 2018, very limited, completed about 58% of his passes, only a little over five yards per attempt, um, was used a little bit in running situations, which is weird because he's not like, not the fastest guys, you know, I don't know. He averaged 2.9 yards per attempt. He, he can run a little bit, but he's like Thomas McVitie. I'm pretty sure was a more athletic runner than Miles Kendrick was last year. Um, but then he didn't play in 2019, 2020 saw him last year, get his most reps completed a little over 60% of his passes. That has to go up 5.4 yards per attempt. As we were mentioning with the stat breakdown for the quarterbacks, that has to go up. Six touchdowns to five interceptions. Have to have a better touchdown-to-interception ratio than that. Rushing-wise, he had negative 15 rushing yards last year. Part of that, a big part of that, was the offensive line struggling and just taking sacks because that goes against you in college. But just pretty much everything has to get better 
under Miles Kendrick this last year, and it could because you get another year older. In theory, you should be getting better each and every year. Sometimes we see guys make big jumps from a year to another year, but most importantly in getting better is just having a better offensive line, having a better game plan, having better coaches around you to not just develop you, but put you in better situations to maximize your skill sets, and I think that's going to happen. But how much that raises the game kind of remains to be seen uh, for a guy like Miles Kendrick. Got a chance to catch up with Miles Kendrick at KU Football Media Day. Had a fun conversation with Miles. He's into cooking. Here is the conversation with Miles Kendrick. What would you say has been your biggest improvement from last year into this year? Uh, I think uh, number one is just decisiveness, being decisive with the football and, and, and just knowing you know, um, what each play requires of me. Um, on each, I guess, each play. And I think number two is just, um, you know, just trying to make, you know, off-platform throws, get outside the pocket, be able to make throws there, keep my eyes up, find guys that are open, um, and always just improving on those little things, right? Location on the ball, quick game, deep ball location, and also, too, just working on how can I create velocity, you know, more velocity on on, um, each and every throw, really. How do you like the fit of what you do into the offense that's being run under Andy Kotelnicki? Uh, I, I think it's a great fit. I think um, you know one of the things that I take pride in is just being being able to adjust to, to you know any scheme, right? I mean, I think um, you know it, it's um, it's it's not very different from really anything that I've really done. At the end of the day, it's it's all kind of you know similar. I think number one is just um, not only. You know, being able to do, you know, make the throws physically, but also to being able to comprehend and um, just have the intelligence to to know um, how to execute each and every play offensively, really. Between high school and San Mateo and here at KU, I mean, how many different offenses have you had to run? Uh, a lot, to be yeah. honest. But, I mean, it's been a blessing in disguise, really, and it's it's allowed me to, to broaden my knowledge of the game and just know, you know, different concepts and um, – you know, what different concepts, you know, require as a, as a quarterback and what certain things that I need to be aware of and, you know, what guys I need to be able to, to feel and read. Um, so really for me, I think it's just, it's, it's made me a better player, right? And it's pushed me beyond my limits. And it's also made me a, a better student of the game, right? Because I'm having to study, you know, a different offense, you know, um, more often. And I think, you know, like I said, it's been a blessing. And I've just, you know, accepted the challenge and have, have uh I've dove in, you know, head first, really. Your favorite hobby outside of football? Uh, I'd say my favorite, my favorite hobby outside of football would probably have to be either just working out, playing basketball, or really, you know, as, of, as recently as I've gotten to college, it's been just kind of cooking, really. What's your favorite thing to cook? Uh, my favorite thing to cook probably would be crunchy tacos. Okay. I think that was kind of the biggest thing that I missed coming from uh you know, come, leaving home, being far away from California and a lot of, you know, good Mexican food. And obviously my mom made a lot of good Mexican food at home. So, you know, the one thing that was kind of like that I missed was, was tacos and Spanish rice. And so I had to, I had to learn the ropes a little bit. She had to teach me how to, how to do it. But, uh, you know, uh, practice makes perfect. And I think now, you know, I'm pretty good at, at that dish, I guess. Is that something you want to do once, whenever your football career does come to an end? Have you thought about being in the restaurant business at all? Uh, I've thought about it. I, 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 I uh, brag on, you know, my sister and my mom. I tell I, I come from a, a, a long line of, of great uh, cooks in my grandma, my mom, my sister. Um, it's definitely something that I enjoy. It's definitely something that's been pretty big in my family. But, um, 
I'd say it, it would definitely be something I, I'd possibly be interested in, but, you know, not really as a career probably. Awesome. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, boss. Appreciate it. So, interesting guy there. And, yeah, I mean, it is good to point out that he's been through so many offenses, and sometimes that can be used as a bit of a crutch, like we heard that all the time with Alex Smith, but it's partially true. And then once you finally settle in, now, unfortunately for him, he's not going to have multiple years under this offense as well, but maybe it can be one that kind of settles him in a little bit more. Jalen Daniels is the other guy in this QB race besides Kendrick and Jason Bean that we're taking seriously among the race. Daniels is a guy with lively arm. Obviously he has, I, I would say he probably has the best arm strength on the team. I, I think that's fair to say. I mean, we haven't seen Jason Bean, just seen some highlights of him at North Texas. It just seems like that's the case. But last year was a struggle and a big part of it Seemed to be the offensive line. He completed just 50% of his passes. He was at 4.7 yards per attempt. Just one passing touchdown over the course of seven games compared to four interceptions. And we didn't really get to see him run the ball much either. And again, this goes back in line with, well, the sacks count against you in rushing stats, so it's not going to look as good for a college quarterback who isn't a primary runner. But I think you could have seen more from him running. He had 73 carries for 20 yards. He did have three rushing touchdowns over the course of the season. If you go back and look at his high school stats as a senior, the completion percentage still leaves something to be desired at 57%. Good touchdown-to-interception ratio, 27-7. to seven. Uh, But the rushing yards will jump off the page. He ran for over 1,000 yards his last year of high school, averaging 9.8 yards per attempt with 10 rushing touchdowns. I think the running game is something that can be a little bit unlocked for Jalen Daniels and maybe working with a guy like Jason Bean, who seems to know how to use his speed and Jalen Daniels isn't as fast as Jason Bean, but maybe that helps you in another way, whether it's being able to scramble out of the pocket. If you do have some offensive line issues or just being able to use those wheels, maybe a little bit more than you did last season. But one of the big things that Jalen Daniels has to overcome is just moving on from the mental side of last year in kind of like a PTSD scent of taking all those PTSD sense in, in terms of taking on all those big hits and getting sacked so often in the offensive line struggling. His QB coach, Jim Zabrowski, talked about that earlier in camp. Yeah, we talked, we joke about it sometimes a little bit too. Sometimes today there's actually a play where he kind of did something. I'm like, don't go there. <laughs> don't go there. It's just, but a great arm talent, obviously, get away. But like, yeah, it's just it's insane. Like, I think also you look at a group of young men that have been through so much in terms of coaching wise. Not good, not saying good people are bad, but I'm just saying these poor, these kids have been through so many different offenses. You got all these offenses, let alone going through a season of COVID and not winning a game and all this stuff. Holy mackerel, like you gotta just say, hey, we're here. And I, want, I hope they know that I, I, I use the word love a lot. Like Coach Allen in Indiana does too, and I love Coach Allen, he's a terrific guy. But I say I love you guys, man, it's unconditional. Like I get here, I have a family obviously my family then you're my next family and like I love you guys to death like it's unconditional I get the job you're in my family so that's how I kind of hope to realize like hey we're there for you and if you're gonna take a beat down it's okay get up you got shoulder pads on too let's take a deep breath and let's move on and let's go to the next one and that's gonna be a big part of it this season you know I was a proponent of last year saying that well you might as well just get Jalen Daniels time especially if the season doesn't count there'd be no reason not to I was kind of on that board before we saw, because we've seen offensive lines at KU where, you know, the offensive line is, isn't like a strength and it's not one of the better ones in the big 12, right? It's, it's one of the, the bottom tier ones in the big 12. 
But there's a difference between that and what we saw last year, where it was, I mean, Pro Football Focus ranked it 129th of 130 teams in their offensive line grade from last year. There's a big difference between those two things. So given what happened last year, knowing that, like you look back with 2020 hindsight and you say, oh man, hopefully you didn't kind of just like Derek Carr, or not Derek Carr, David Carr, this guy, which who knows if David Carr would have ended up ever being good, but that's always the story that because the Texans never could protect him, it gave him PTSD. He was just never the same quarterback from then on. You hope that doesn't happen with Jalen Daniels. It was still very early on in his career, and you think that he can move forward for that, especially because of some of the talent that he has outside of you know, dealing with trying to get over that mental side of it from last year. A lot of talent to shape for Jim Zabrowski. I'll say I'll go a little opposite on that one, a little bit on this. I'll say that here's what I see in him is a tremendous arm talent. Um, people want to say, like, sometimes you always coach. Who does people compare? Can you compare him to somebody you've coached? Um, he's got a lot of um, Tyree Jackson in him from Buffalo. Different height, obviously. Tyree was 6'7", and he's like a son to me. I love that kid to death. But the types of throws they can make. Now you got to make sure they don't make where's that line. And things that, but all that stuff and confidence and and so on and so forth. He's got confidence, but on the field now, gaining taking the confidence of how you see him, then getting the confidence of what we're doing offensively. Because here's I'll tell you this: the guy who will play the the guys who play sometimes we're not playing the guys who can pick up what we're trying to do the fastest. Because we only have three plus weeks, we didn't have like spring ball now, so we got to rub this in. Like who can get us in the right play and the right who can get us in the right direction. <laughs> and so that's what I think, like, confidence in his ability. Yeah. Now, can he still maintain the same confidence when I'm calling this long play call or getting a wristband or trying to get, oh, my God, the clock's running, or final, final try to line up, that kind of stuff. So that's amazing. I hope that makes sense. And, yeah, I mean, Jalen Daniels, he has all the physical tools you could want. It's just he's young. He was 17 last year. He's 18 now. And this goes back to what we were talking about on Friday about, you know, him saying, if I don't win the job, I'm, I'm still going to be a big supporter. I'm still going to work my tail off and, and improve each and every day. I think he is going to be the guy at some point in his KU career. He's too young and too talented to make you think that he won't get another crack at that starting QB spot and get another another start here there when you consider Kendrick is a senior. And, uh, I mean, Jason Bean, I don't even know what we classify him as year-wise because last year with COVID, like, do you count the year? Do you not? the guy? I don't know. But there's a lot of potential there. And if it is Jalen Daniels, or if he is a guy who ends up starting later in the season, that would make a lot of sense to me. Because maybe it takes a little extra time for a younger guy to master the playbook, but then once he does, he has all the physical tools you want from that position. Got a chance to speak with Jalen Daniels as well, and talking with all the different quarterbacks. Another fun guy, really good Madden football player, which was a theme among a couple different guys that we talked to at Media Days. Here is the conversation with Jalen. What would you say has been the biggest improvement for you from year one and playing as a 17-year-old now to year two? Um, reading defenses. Yeah. You know, coming in, they, they're throwing a lot of me. because They threw a lot of me because I was 17 years old, you know. They knew I wouldn't see a couple of things that they threw at me, a couple blitzes that were coming. So that's the one thing that I took over to this the offseason that I needed to get better at, you know. Seeing pre-snap when they're going to bring the blitz, seeing pre-snap when they're going to roll the cover three or cover two, seeing what they're going to do pre-snap and then recognizing post-snap that that's exactly what they're doing. And is that something that you guys are in control of? I don't know if you were last year as well, but just kind of audibling at the line of scrimmage and, and adjusting to those different things? You know, definitely uh, we like to ask our coaches before we get onto the field, like, if they do this, what, what, what should we do? 
and they'll give us that answer that we need to be able to make that play. Do you have a favorite route to throw to? Post. Yeah? Definitely, you know, so I can just uh, play action, sit up in the pocket, step up, and just rip it. Yeah, what, what is the, uh, the game-winning touchdown from Jalen Daniels on the touchdown throw? What does it look like? Take me through that. Uh, so in my head, I'd say three seconds left in the game. We're on the 20-yard line in the red zone. Uh, we run trips right, three receivers to the field, one in the boundary. They're pressed up in, the ma- they're pressed up in man coverage in the boundary. Uh, I tell my, my wide receiver in the boundary to run a go ball, and I throw him a back shoulder fade route. Okay. Three seconds, game over. We won. <laughs> Love it. Uh, was there a game specifically from last year that you felt like there was, there was maybe a moment where you thought, okay, I, I, I kind of understand what's going on now, like where, a moment where things kind of started to click a little bit more? Um, no game specifically, but I really would say Iowa State game played a big part for me. You know, uh, I was coming, coming back from an injury and being able to show everybody that I still was perfectly fine. Like, I'm able to do everything that I was able to do before that injury that happened against Oklahoma State. Okay, I was asking some superlatives the guys asked who the funniest in the QB room is. You got brought up. Would you agree with that? Um, definitely I agreed with that, but Bean and MK are definitely in the race for that yeah. too. I might be the goofiest. I'm not sure about funniest, but definitely one of the goofiest. Do you have the strongest arm of the bunch? I wouldn't say all that. You know, they're definitely up there uh, competing for it. What's the furthest you've ever thrown? Have you tracked that? Uh, the furthest I've ever thrown was 79. Okay. That's pretty good. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah. Um, who would you say is the best, uh, the toughest runner? Like, if you had to try to pancake somebody as a runner on the team, who's most likely? If I had to pancake somebody yeah. on the team, who's the toughest runner? Yeah. Uh, any position, yeah. running the ball, them. Who's the guy that you're glad on, that's on your guys' defense that you're glad you don't have to play against? Oh, okay. Um, I'm definitely going to have to go with Kenny Logan. Okay. Um, Nick Channel from, oh, no, Nick Channel. Definitely Nick Channel. I definitely don't want to go head up with him. Is that because he's a hard hitter or what? He, he, yeah. He's going to put a hat on you. He's going to put a hat on you and make sure that you feel it uh-huh. and then celebrate after. <laughs> Do you have any uh, favorite hobbies outside of football? Um, video gaming. Video game? You know, uh, PlayStation was, or Xbox guy? Definitely a PlayStation 5 okay. guy. Yeah? Xbox, that's not, that's not my wave. <laughs> What's the game you're, you're playing the most? Madden. Yeah? Madden definitely played a big part of me learning coverages, being able to just play ball, you know, especially with this, the, this new next-gen thing, you know. I feel like the game is actually more realistic than it was. So when you're playing the video game, you're actually, like, reading the defense like it's real life. Oh, you better ask somebody I play. I'll, t- I'll let you know what coverage you're in and everything. I promise you. Like, I play against my friends. I'll be like, bro, are you in cover too? He'll try to Oliver. I'll be like, no, it's too late. I'm snapping the ball. I'm t- that's the touchdown. <laughs> uh, I was talking to Romello Dotson. He said he was the best Madden player on the team. Do you agree with that? You Have know, you played him? Romello has definitely said that since I got here. He's been trying to play me, but I'm definitely not going to play Romello because I've heard some stories that he be cheating, and I'm not, uh, not no, nah, that's not going to be me. <laughs> All right, good luck this season, man. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right, so that was, a, that was a fun conversation with Jalen. Uh, I mean, he's very well-spoken. He is um, everything you want from, like, a quarterback and being able to represent the team and the leadership aspect and being able to sacrifice for the team. And he has, again, all the physical tools. It's just about learning that other stuff. And I think it will come eventually. Might not be this year. Might be down the road. But who knows? There still is a lot of time. Maybe he could take the quarterback position by reins at some point this season. And definitely a guy that is very easy to root for. That's your quarterback previews. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. On FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, more positional previews starting tomorrow. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to RCST.